Welcome to Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives, a podcast by and about the spirituality of the richly diverse Milwaukee Christians who are all connected to Little Bold Redeemer Church in the heart of the city on Wisconsin Avenue. I'm Lisa Bates-Froyland, pastor of Redeemer, and since 2011, I've been on a journey with the incredible people you meet on this podcast. I always say there are no dull people at Redeemer, and thanks be to God for that. Throughout this pandemic, our Redeemer lives, and we are living our Redeemer lives. Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives is sponsored by Jeff Onerow Designs. For more than 15 years, the creative team at Jeff Onerow Designs has been handcrafting liturgical textiles. Their processional banners and seasonal banners grace sanctuaries across the country. Their frontals and pyramids adorn altars and lecterns in churches of all sizes. Clergy love their pastor stoles, I have three myself, deacon stoles and other vestments. Whether you are shopping for the smallest accessory or reevaluating your entire collection of vestments and pyramids, Jeff One Row Designs would be honored to work with you to create something perfect. Jeff One Row Designs, making ordinary time extraordinary since 2005. When you order, be sure to enter the coupon code REDEEMERLIVES15. On this week's podcast, Caring for COVID Patients for Real. A handful of summers ago, Mel Bach visited Redeemer with her spouse and two children. They had heard about us through a story about our bees on NPR's local affiliate radio station, WUWM. The elder Bachs serve on the council, and the younger Bachs delight us with their curiosity about the world and their thirst for justice. For 16 years, Mel has worked as a registered nurse. The COVID pandemic has rocked her vocation and led her into an advocacy role that she could not have predicted. I asked her to come on the pod to describe from her unique vantage point just what it's like to treat a COVID patient who requires hospitalization. I've heard voices from the medical community asking the media to share stories like these rather than only recording numbers of cases and trend lines. Yes, I know we are not exactly the media, but with this episode, Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives is striving to do its part. Mel, thank you so much for being here to share. Here's the question I always start with. How is it with your soul? Thank you, Lisa, for having me here. Um, I would say that my soul is a bit fatigued, um, maybe a little frozen at times, uh, but but still marching along. <laughs> and I know that you have treated many, many COVID patients since this all began, but I wondered if you could share the story of one that you know you'll remember for a long time. Oh, yes. Um, and I hope I don't get too emotional <laughs> talking about it. Um, but uh, I, I, uh, I work mainly in a cardiovascular intensive care unit. And in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, there wasn't much work for us because they had stopped surgeries. And so they found other places for us to go and other hospitals for us to help. And so we were traveling around Milwaukee uh, doing just that, treating COVID patients, helping out on floors where I would not typically work uh, on a medical surgical floor and uh, taking teams of patients that were COVID positive. Um, and those folks I, I remember quite well, but the, the person that sticks out in my mind the most, I will call her Eleanor. Eleanor is my favorite first lady. Yes. <laughs> so I'll just call her Eleanor. 
Um, Eleanor uh, was somebody who was young and full of life and had family and was an essential worker and took time away from her job so that she would not contract COVID. And uh, as, as the fates would be, uh, she did. And she ended up in the ICU. And um, as it would turn to, to, to happen is that I ended up being her nurse and she required a lot of support. Uh, she was on a ventilator and she was using an ECMO machine to help oxygenate her blood. Uh, she was on, there were 16 IV drips going into her body. She had tubes everywhere. And the reason I remember her so well is because um, at some point we do wake these patients up just to make sure that their brain is still functioning and they're still with us. And she was so scared. Mm. And I just had to go into her room every time that the ECMO machine alarms, because it's hooked into your blood system. Um, It takes the blood in and out to oxygenate it outside of the body because the body's lungs have failed and cannot Mm -hmm. oxygenate. And when you get excited and upset, Mm -hmm. um, that clamps the machine off. And I would go in there and I would talk to her to get her to try to relax and let the machine do its work so that she wouldn't panic at not being able to feel that oxygen flowing in her body. Um, And it was just very stressful for her and just watching her eyes and her squeezing my hand. And as she got sicker and sicker and I had relationships with her family members that would call, you just saw the light kind of going out of her eyes as the weeks went by. And I work weekends, so I didn't see a lot of the stuff that happened during the week. But um, just to know that she was just slowly fading away every time I went in there until the point where she didn't squeeze my hand back Mm. and she didn't open her eyes anymore uh, when we we would wake her up to see if she was okay. Um, I don't know. I just spent a lot of time in that room, three hours at a time, comforting her and caring for her and it's just such a lonely lonely virus you can't be with family and just knowing that her family wanted to be there for her and couldn't um, and passing on the messages that they gave to her and just seeing the tears kind of pour down her cheeks a little bit um, it was just it was a lot it was a lot to witness it was a lot to take in do you know how much time it took from the time she knew that she was COVID positive to the time that she died? Uh, yeah, so it was about uh, a week at a different hospital. And then she came to our hospital because she was quite sick. And they were trying to figure out what the best plan might be for her, thinking that ECMO would be her last resort and something that would help. Um, but they tried everything else first, you know, different medications. Um, I happen to work with physicians that are just, you know, they, they are innovative and they are progressive and they just try everything, everything. So we gave her everything. And um, she was there for just a few more days at our hospital before they decided, nope, this is where we need to go. Mm-hmm. We need to try more support. And you noted that she was uh, younger, 40s, 50s, something like that, perhaps. I know you don't want to give a lot of details here, and that makes sense. Um, Did she have other health complications going into this? Um, One. She had one health complication, and I think that's of note because there are many of us walking around. I myself have um, various health issues, and I ran a 10K yesterday, and... Mm. um, I try to eat the right foods and take care of myself. Um, but when I get sick, 
I get sick. Um, and it doesn't take much with this virus. If you have one health condition, if you have high blood pressure, if you are even moderately uh, overweight, um, if you have any sort of autoimmune deficiency, which most women do have, um, especially over the ages of 40 and 30, they, they start to pop in. Um, those, those tend to lead you to, to higher levels of disease when you get sick. And throughout this pandemic, I have never tested positive for COVID myself. And uh, in my role as pastor, I have not cared for someone who's been hospitalized with the virus. And for you know most of the months, protocols would have prevented me from, from doing that. Um, I wanted to ask you, Mel, what does a person like me not know about what this disease is like? For instance, what is it like to be on a ventilator? Uh, so like you, I've never tested positive for COVID and um, I did receive a vaccine as soon as it came out. Um, and the reason I received my vaccine right away is because being on a ventilator is a frightening experience. Um, we do give you sedatives and we do give you pain relievers, um, but there's no way that we can take away all of the discomfort sometimes. We need to make sure that all the muscles are working and your brain is working well uh, so we can intervene quickly if things start to take a turn. So we try to keep you comfortable when you're on a ventilator. Um, it's a hard plastic tube. It is semi-flexible, semi but it's a harder plastic tube and they put it in. Um, so you're awake one minute, you go to sleep, and it goes all the way down and into uh, just above, just above, um, um, or I should say, just below your your thyroid. Like mm -hmm. there's a little balloon that kind of keeps it lodged into place. So a lot of people kind of cough, cough and choke a bit on that balloon. Um, you can get sores in your mouth. We try to move that tube every couple of hours so that you don't get sores on your tongue or on your lips. Um, but you can't really communicate very well because we have that tube in and it's blocking your ability for your vocal cords to move. And then we also have your arms typically restrained with restraints so that you don't in a panic or in a sleep, um, waking up suddenly with the, with the sedatives inside of you, remove that tube and uh, hurt your ability to breathe and be oxygenated. So it's very frightening and we try to let you like write on whiteboards, but usually you're pretty sick and pretty weak at that point and you can't really communicate well. So it's a very stressful thing. And you've been in this and treating patients uh, hospitalized for COVID since March 2020? Uh, just about. So like I had said, um, they had slowed surgeries way down. And without the option of being able to work in my, my field of medicine that I, I prefer, mm -hmm. I've done a lot of different things, but I really like cardiac surgery. Um, they, they had the opportunity for us to go elsewhere. So I would go to other ERs in, in, the, in the area and take care of those patients. And I shouldn't say ERs, ICUs. Um, and take care of those patients. And it was a range. It was people who were just admitted on two liters of oxygen on a regular medical surgical floor. Um, and it would go up to people who are on what they call OptiFlow. And that's like a little nasal prong with a huge tube that just pushes the air in. Um, and uh, all the way up to, you know, the, the ventilators. Um, so it seemed like things were slowing mm. for a while, uh, late spring, early summer. I'm wondering from a nurse's perspective, what do you find especially frustrating about 
the summer surge of 2021. Oh my goodness. I, I was so excited. I follow, my husband is involved in pharmacy. He loves numbers and data. And he and I would sit there and talk about the positivity rates across the kitchen table. It's a thrilling conversation at our house. <laughs> our poor children um, get to hear about all of our work exploits sometimes with, uh, with number crunching and so forth. Um, but I was really excited to see that there was, you know, 1.7 positivity rate dropping below 1%. We had a family wedding that was planned down in the uh, upper suburbs of Chicago. And I was looking up their positivity rates and I was like, life is finally happening again. Vaccines are working. People are taking them. I'm not seeing any vaccinated people in the hospital. I thought for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, life was going to happen again. And I think the most frustrating part about um, the summer surge is that there is uh, there is a preventative measure that we can take with this vaccine. I mean, masks work. I've been COVID-free this entire time. The mask works if you wear it and I wear it uh, to prevent you know respiratory droplets from being expelled from my mouth and onto you. I wear it to protect you. Um, but the vaccine is honestly our best. It's our best weapon of defense against COVID, and I think. Watching the politicization—oh, I can't even say the word—politicization of the virus um, by certain by certain folks, and having people who are not medically savvy, who don't work in the medical field, who don't usually experience because they're quite healthy, listening to these people. Um, it's it's frustrating because it's not their fault. And I want them to get vaccinated, and I want them to be protected. And it's not their fault that they're listening to these these people that are not using trusted and verified sources that are operating more, more off of opinion and feeling rather than scientific fact. It's very frustrating. So I'll ask this question right now. What sources of information do you trust and rely upon? You know, I really... I. I have children that are under the age of 12, so the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, recommends vaccinations and masking in schools. Um, I trust them. I trust my critical care physicians that I work with because they look at all the information. They are hungry for data. They are innovative. They are progressive, and they are um, they they are wanting people to survive. They they've taken this vocation, this calling, very seriously. Uh, working in medicine and um, I do listen to the CDC as well. I know that that is a hot topic, but they're trying to they're trying to keep people safe. I think that that's um, that's notable and, and worthy. And DHS, I listen to. Um, looking at any sort of association of physicians um, that reports information that looks at research based information, peer reviewed articles and can discern the data for us, because this is their expertise. I follow them. That's very helpful. Um, as somebody who's on the front lines, treating patients for real with the disease to know what sources you go to um, is helpful. I wanted to shift and talk about um, how you walk your faith through these difficult months in your vocation. And to ask, are there ways in which your your faith has carried you through some difficult moments, ways that you've questioned your faith during this time? What do some of your prayers sound like these days? <laughs> uh, this, oh gosh, this is the question, right? So at the beginning of the pandemic, it was, you know, just my, my daily prayers and my daily ritual was just, you know, for 
for people to be safe and to make healthy choices and for all the things that need to be put into place to help save lives and prevent serious disease going forward in someone's life um, to be in place. And now it's just more of like a, a foxhole prayer, um, mm. just desperate sometimes for people to just to listen when you see the reports coming out of Missouri and Texas and Florida about children and there not being any pediatric ICU beds and 20,000 kids being quarantined. Um, and some of those children will die based on the statistics and just knowing that this was preventable um, is just, it, it brings out that foxhole prayer. Mm -hmm. And I would like to say that I am able to carry my faith with me into work and that patient I talked about earlier, I would pray with her and with her family over the phone. And um, that was difficult because I, when I am at work, really try to compartmentalize because if I get too attached to the person that I'm working with in front of me, I'm not able to do my job well. So bringing my faith with me sometimes to work is, is damaging to my soul. And I, I know I've talked to my friends and some of my coworkers about moral injury and just the fatigue of, of being a faith-filled person and, and looking at the situation and wondering, where, where is God? Is God here? And um, stumbling over that, because I do consider myself to be a faithful follower, and I'm questioning everything. <laughs> we can be grateful that we have a, a God that absorbs all those questions. You just read through the Psalms and you see that every, <laughs> throughout time people have thrown everything at God mm -hmm. and, and God can take it. It's a, it's a good place to put the depths of your despair and frustration um, to direct it in that, in that direction, even to say, I don't even know if you're there, <laughs> but here's my frustration. Here's my, I'm at my last, I'm at, at the end of my, end of my rope. Yeah, I have uh, my moments of going to the Garden of Gethsemane and yeah. sitting by myself. And I was mentioning that to you earlier, that I just kind of have tried to tighten it up a little bit and just tried to focus, like, what, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And am I following the directives of my faith and my profession? Am I doing the best I can for everybody and for my family? Mm -hmm. So here at Redeemer, we are church together. And we support each other in ways that sometimes family and friends um, don't or can't. Given what you're facing with especially misinformation and all of these divisions over vaccination and masks and this whole concept of, of public health as being a thing that sometimes is over and against individual choice or freedom of expression or other ways that this whole vaccination thing is being constructed. How do you think a church community like Redeemer can stand with you and with others on the front lines right now? You know, um, I, I feel very proud to belong to a church where um, when I go into a room and say, how many are vaccinated, just so I know if I'm going to be able to protect my patients at work um, by being around uh, other vaccinated individuals that usually most people raise their hands. There are very few people that do not receive a vaccine. I think um, the thing that a church can do is just, um, is representation matters very much. So if you see somebody not wearing a mask or saying they don't mask, I, you say, I mask. Mm -hmm. I mask and I, and I do it to protect other people so that if I've come in contact with someone COVID positive, my respiratory droplets are stopped by that mask. 
just making sure that you advocate for vaccinations, that you um, have a clinic for people to get vaccinated or drive them, offer to drive them, because sometimes access to health care is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you wanted to say while we have the microphones on and open? <laughs> Just that I'm so encouraged that, you know, while the cases in the southern states are rising and the hospitals are, hospitalizations are rising, um, I do feel encouraged to say, to see that the vaccination rates are increasing as well. Um, and even one of our own local hospitals lost somebody recently to COVID, and they were a young, young man with a family, a young child. And to see their family members stand up and say on camera, we didn't vaccinate, we decided not to vaccinate, we were pretty set on not doing it, and then this happened, and showing what happened to their family, and then receiving their vaccine on camera. I'm just very encouraged that maybe, maybe um, the news and the media might be helping to push a bit more of a a drive toward vaccination and, and wearing a mask to protect small children from getting a disease that could kill them, or, or take away a lot of the joy of life. Mm-hmm. Your family has been with Redeemer for a few years now, and I always like to close out a podcast um, by asking for a favorite Redeemer memory. Do you have one to share? Oh my gosh, I have two. Okay. <laughs> um, honestly, the very first time we brought our family here, I, have, I had two young girls, and they were much younger than they are now, and we had only gone to... Uh, churches that had had male pastors and we left and my oldest looked at me and said so the woman at the front of the church she leads the church and I said yes she does and she said that is just incredible I didn't know that could happen and I said and that is why we're here because representation matters Um, so that was that was one of my favorites and also the bees I mean the bees are kind of what brought us here a little bit I was kind of intrigued by the fact that there was a female minister and I was wondering like what is this what is this outfit (laughs) what is what they're talking about bees it's it kind of fits my how I feel about um, faith and community and um, the first time we had a bee service and just seeing the bee balloons and just how it connects how bees are connected to faith and serving the community I was like ah This is why we're here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming by and for sharing what you've shared. I think it'll be helpful to a lot of people um, to know what you have seen and experienced, although it's been been painful and fatiguing, as you've said, um, that hopefully by sharing this, someone else will be inspired perhaps to vaccinate, perhaps to to be drawn to a different source of information, um, to keep wearing the mask. And that segues, I think, into what I wanted to say from a position of um, our faith, uh, as Lutherans specifically. Luther's, I always have to say this. Luther said a lot of nasty, bad things, especially toward the end of his career. But one of the gifts that his writings uh, gave us is this concept of Christian vocation, which before he wrote about it, most people thought that if you had a job as a Christian, you had to be a a priest, right? Um, Or a cleric of some sort in the church. And otherwise, what you did day to day didn't really count as part of your faith. Well, Luther wanted to bring those together. And so Christian vocation means that regardless of what you do, 
um, for your job or your career or, um, or anything of that nature, you can do that living as a Christian, even if, if, even if it never involves saying a prayer at work, even if it never involves talking about your faith on the job, the way you do the job, your concern for other people as you do the job, um, your willingness to sometimes sacrifice some of your time and energy beyond the call of duty, that is living and working as a Christian, um, as, you're do- as you're a nurse, or as you're a teacher, or as you're a sanitation worker, the, the, the careful thought that you put into the way you do your job is an outgrowth of your Christian faith. And that's what Luther said. And that's what I'm hearing so strongly from you uh, today, Mel, and another great reason for you to be here. Another Christian tenet that I think this whole pandemic is really making very clear that the Christian faith is meant to be a we thing. We see this in the scriptures, and I learned this very well during uh, seminary, that most of the time when it says you in the scriptures, it means y'all. So everything is directed at a big y'all, and our Christian faith is always meant to be not so much as a me and God thing, but a we and God thing and a concern for others. So as you said, Mel, wearing the mask protects others. Um, Having the vaccine, yes, it will protect you as an individual, but if a bunch of us, most of us are vaccinated, we can quell a virus like this. So it's hand in glove with our Christian faith uh, to be making these moves for the good of the whole. Hey, if you liked what you heard today, first of all, that's great. If you liked it so much that you'd like to support us with a financial gift, please go to our website, RedeemerMilwaukee.org. There you will see links to our YouTube services, information on how we're trying to serve our neighbors during the hardships of this pandemic. And yes, there is a donate button. Thanks in advance for the help. Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives is a podcast of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm Lisa Bates-Froyland, your host. Aaron Musser is our editor, sound designer, and engineer. Meredith Seip-Sumner wrote and performed our theme. Redeemer Lives, Redeemer Lives is sponsored in part by Outreach for Hope, a nonprofit organization that supports life-giving ministries who serve low-income communities in the Greater Milwaukee Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Outreach for Hope grants have supported Redeemer Ministries for over 10 years. Until next time, peace be with you, peace be within you, and may peace be among us all. Goodbye.